Hello and welcome to Cryptids Decrypted. This is the end of the first half of our season, which means that after this episode, we are going to be taking a, I, I'm not going to call it well-deserved, but we're going to be taking a, hol- a holiday break. And so we will be back in January with a few new episodes, a uh, fantastic interview, which I'm not going to tell you that guest is, but let's just say pretty cool and has to do with uh, somebody we talk about in this episode. So there's your teaser for that. Before we get started, just going to take a moment to shamelessly plug my own stuff as I do at the top of every podcast. If you are looking for some free short fiction to read that has to do with monsters, uh, I've even got like a holiday story if you're into that. It's got Krampuses and people going home and finding out that their parents have been eaten by ghouls. You know, the good stuff, the stuff you really want to read about at Christmas. You can head over to macashton.com slash library. Uh, there are all sorts of digital short stories that you can look at there, including some that are even available as eBooks for free that you can just download. So, you know, that's pretty cool. It's a great way to support me. And if you like them, share them with your friends and I don't know, it just helps get my work out there. And like I said, it's free. So low barrier to entry. If you're uh, more of a visual person, I've also got some comics out now. So at macashton.com slash comics, there is some stuff about burritos. Uh, there's a couple about my dog, you know, again, really the stuff that you want to see is on MacAshton.com. That's all i got to say. Lastly, if you do want to support me financially, you can go ahead and buy my books at MacAshton.com slash shop, or you can just go to Amazon, type in Ashton Macaulay, and you're going to find all sorts of stuff. So any of that supports me. I appreciate it all. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. That is enough about me talking. So let's talk about a Hulu documentary instead. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Cryptus decrypted. You, you know what it is. You know, you click this button. Uh, we're You've here been with us for the, for for a while now. Yeah, this is nothing new. This is what episode thirty five. So, I think is, I I know, are we I know really I that far into this thing. We've we've uh-huh. done that many of these. Jesus, Se- season four, episode five. That's thirty five episodes. Woo! God damn. Yeah. So today we're doing something weird. Uh, something we haven't done before. We're actually gonna be uh, looking at something true. We're we're gonna be ish. we're gonna be yeah true ish. We're gonna be we're gonna be looking at something true ish today. We're not doing a myth. Uh, instead, we are looking at the documentary Sasquatch on Hulu, which everybody has told me I need to watch. Uh, given that I host a cryptozoology podcast, but uh, I've never done it. And so we went through and watched it. It's three episodes. It is free if you have Hulu, and what a ride. Well, I, Ashton, I have to say, it makes me wonder if these people who reached out to you and told you you have to watch this actually watched it, yeah. or if they were like, wait a second, I know somebody who's into cryptids. That, that's a cryptid documentary. I have to tell Ashton. Or maybe they watched like the first 20 minutes, and they were like, this is right up Ashton's alley, but we'll, we'll get into that. I guess I want to start with the tagline of this documentary, and and my tagline for it is a Bigfoot murders uh, three guys on a dope farm, because in the first 20 minutes, I feel like there's a bunch of people that are like, yeah, I saw Bigfoot murder three guys on a dope farm, and they just keep cutting back to that. So when it starts, this is, so this is a, it, it starts with a documentary filmmaker, documentary, a documentary filmmaker, and he's, he's not a documentary filmmaker at that point, but he's working on a cannabis farm. Back in 93. Yeah, back in, back in 93. You'll hear back in 93 multiple times. Do not play a drinking game. Where you drink oh, every yeah. time he says back in ninety three, otherwise you'll die. Oh, that's actually a great game. Drink every time somebody mentions the year nineteen ninety three. But before we get into it, I should say I'm gonna split this episode 
into three portions, and I will call out whenever we're crossing an episode boundary, just in case you are watching it, you don't want to spoil it. So we're starting episode one right now. So this documentary is about pot farms in Mendocino County, basically. In in Northern California, for those not on the West Coast. That is a good point. Yeah, Mendocino County is, I think, on the California-Oregon border. It is heavily forested. I think I wrote down some facts about it because it was fucking nuts. Like, it's it's got, like, super high elevation. Uh, plants grow different there, like, especially in a few places like Spy Rock, which we'll talk about in a minute. But basically, it's this really fertile ground, a lot of forest, prime Bigfoot territory. And when this uh, documentary- Really hard to get into was something they flagged a few times. Yeah, really hard to get into. And, John, what do you remember the guy's name, the docu- documentary guy's name? David- David something or other. David Holdhouse. That's right, yeah. So David Holdhouse, the the main uh, filmmaker here, is working on a pot farm. He's hearing a bunch of stories about Sasquatch throwing rocks at people while they are uh, while they're working, or Sasquatch just watching people through the trees. And one night, he's in a little A-frame cabin. And he hears this call go out on the radio. And whoever's on the other line is freaking out. But the person who's answering the phone is just like, yep, okay. Like, bring these people here. 20 minutes later, these these two dudes walk in and they are freaking out because they have seen a Bigfoot kill three people on a dope farm. Or at least found the bodies, like, ripped limb from limb. Uh, and the entire marijuana crop has been slashed and not stolen. Yeah, not ripped off. Just there's weed everywhere. Yeah, they wanted to make that very clear. The marijuana crop was not stolen. It was just ripped to all hell and then covered in in dismembered body parts. So that is what kicks this whole thing off. And gosh, how many years later is it? 1993? 30 or 28 years later? Yeah, I was going to say I should just look at my own age, given I'm born in 90. So 28 years later, uh, Holt House is kind of this big shit documentary guy he is famous for going undercover dude this dude should be fucking dead he really he's, should he's gone undercover with like the cartel he's gone undercover with nazis neo-nazis like this dude's track record is incredible some of the photos he has of like yeah this is this is what i've had to do to go chase stories that just get a bug in my ear yeah, like, this is the Grand Wizard of the KKK, it, which, it, he actually reminds me a lot of, did you ever see Black Klansman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Great he, he reminds me a lot of Adam Driver and Black Klansman, uh, because that, that person, he's, he's the one going undercover with the KKK, so it's, and apparently that's something that this guy actually did, and so this is kind of his thing, and he said that he has a penchant for going after monsters, because he was the victim of sexual assault as a child, so he can't really let things go. When he sees something where he thinks there's been an injustice done, he kind of goes to the extreme. He he also mentioned how criminals almost view him as crooked and how they're comfortable talking to him. Very similar to how he's comfortable being around them and doing these things because, quote, he has his own demons in his head that he's always trying to chase, unquote. Right. And so he he uses that. To get in with some absolutely insane people on this documentary. But I should say, so like the first 20 minutes of this are framed like a legitimate documentary about Bigfoot. They have, they, they brought on Gimlin of Patterson Gimlin, 
who they're the ones famous for the very first Bigfoot footage. And you hear Gimlin telling this story about the first day that they saw Bigfoot. You've got other people who believe they've seen Bigfoot. And the one thing that uh, I actually really didn't like about the way they did that was they really juxtaposed people who had... It sounded like actual traumatic experiences, like could not get through. There's a scene with a guy in a car where he's talking about Bigfoot and he's... Are you talking about the police officer? Yeah. Yeah. Who, for, yeah. And he was, was like crying and shaking when he was talking about this Bigfoot experience. And like you could see his hands were working and like whatever he saw terrified him. And he was talking about if, you know, if he hadn't run away, the Bigfoot would have killed him. There was a good chance he wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. I didn't like them swapping between that and then people who were very clearly just batshit crazy or out for a buck because they would have a very serious Bigfoot sighting like that. Somebody who, like I said, clearly has some trauma around it. Like whatever they saw, Bigfoot or not, really hurt them. And then they would swap to these people who were like, I don't know, I saw Bigfoot in my barn, blah, 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 blah. Like, Or you have people who are talking about how there's just weed plants that are 10 feet high and the Bigfoot would walk around and eat the weed buds like corn, but only super high up. Yeah. And then Bigfoot would get super blazed. Like, so I hated that. I really, I like, I don't, it almost felt like I was poking fun at those people. And I was like, if you're going to build the documentary kind of on the back of that, that's a, it's a bad move in my part. Cause there's, there's lots of people who legitimately think that they've seen a Bigfoot and whether or not you believe it, it's, uh, it, I don't know, it's, it's not it's not cool to make fun of people for that. One dude commented how, oh yeah, he smelled this sweet musky scent, thinking that it was a female Sasquatch that oh, must that's... have been in heat. Yes, so that that's right. That is the one they played after the police officer was somebody selling that he, or saying that he could smell a female Sasquatch in heat. And I was just like, come the fuck yeah. on. Please. Ugh. So anyways, this is all taking place, a place called like Humboldt County, right? And Humboldt, this, uh, or Humboldt might be the small town, whatever it is. There's a small town. It is. It's Humboldt County, and there is a small town of Humboldt. There's also a college there. Yeah. So the Humboldt, really small town, way, way the fuck up in the mountains. Uh, lots of, lot, lots of, lots of, uh, Bigfoot mythology. And it actually kind of reminded me a bit of the town in the evolution the, there's a max brooks book about people living off the grid and while this isn't quite off the grid it, it they are living isolated in the same respect and it actually parallels the book with some of the attacks that are happening so i thought that was kind of interesting like bigfoot stalking people bigfoot throwing rocks at them somewhat i mean in de-evolution they made it seem like the tribe of big feet was very intelligent and had a dedicated thought process there and <laughs> I wouldn't say that Humboldt is quite that is that isolated as compared to the uh, isolated little village of ten houses or whatever and in, in on Mount Rainier because um, Humboldt is like again they they have like a college there with like sports teams and stuff but I think the little villages around it of Layton or Laytonville or something like that um, that Any of these pot growing communities really yeah where where they had like. And we'll, we'll talk about boomers later because um, he goes to boomers quite a bit. Uh, but like that feels like it's it's a little less remote. And that is kind of where people go to get their groceries and stuff. But when it comes to the actual like where the pot growers are living, where they have to hike in for a couple days to get to and carry all their shit on their back, like that is definitely completely isolated. And there's a lot of interesting things that we, we're going to talk about in episode 
two in episode three here. Before we get there, and, and you might be thinking, these guys have talked not very much about Bigfoot. And that's because the documentary doesn't actually talk a lot about Bigfoot. The last thing that they really say about Bigfoot in this first episode is they talk about this place called Spyrock. So they're they're on the trail of this this dope farm murder. David Holdhouse really looks like Joaquin Phoenix prepping for a role, and I couldn't unsee it once I thought it. Uh, but David Holdhouse, a.k.a. Joaquin Phoenix, uh, is going around God looking for it. places, and I know, I know. Now and- I can't unsee it. <laughs> Yeah, it'll happen someday, but so he's looking around and he starts getting clues to this place called Spy Rock and Spy Rock straight up sounds like Land of the Lost to me. So it's super high elevation to the point where it's like above clouds most of the time. So plants just grow bigger there. Like if plants go bigger in Humboldt County, plants grow the biggest on Spy Rock and it is the kind of like the Shangri-La of the emerald triangle and the emerald triangle is this big pot growing area i had never heard of it before this documentary apparently it was a big thing so spy rock high elevation plants grow bigger there it's it's, it's a pretty good location for a bigfoot you think everything's bigger it's very remote it also has i think it said the oldest yeah it has the oldest petroglyph on record so that is i like so it has this sort of mythology to it already and i think that that kind of lends itself to this mythology even more uh unfortunately that is about where the 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 bigfoot stuff ends and also just if you don't know petroglyph is like a a painting on the on like a rock it's it's an it was an ancient way of painting on rocks and stuff and they've hung around for quite a bit there actually used to be some uh where i lived by the columbia river when i was a kid but yeah so that is that is pretty much where we uh, end episode one. Oh, I did make one more note. He said he wanted to go meet a guy called Razor in the high desert outside of Joshua Tree. Okay, so I will say a couple notes there. I, I did appreciate that they brought in a professor from Idaho State who firmly believes in Bigfoot. And he said the evidence proves it. Like, it's not a matter of faith. It's a matter of, you, you know, seeing the evidence and knowing that Bigfoot you know, is out there in the evolutionary chain and all that. I found that fascinating. Jeff Meldrum, yeah? I, um, yeah, I believe that was the one. And the one thing that jumped out at me was he thinks there's about 300 of them out there. There's 100 more black bear in the U.S. And, and his major question was like, how many black bear carcasses do people stumble on on hikes every year? Like, they're very good at staying hidden, but we know that they're out there because we have them in zoos. So I found that interesting. And then the other thing I wanted to call out is that the California desert where he meets Razor looks like where you, you meet Trevor from GTA 5 for the first time, where it's that oh, no, it 100% remote fucking does. area. I, so I really like Jeff Meldrum throughout. I actually, so I have him on my list of people I want to contact and try and interview uh, because I think he'd be really interesting to talk to. And we, we have a wide range of people who believe in Bigfoot on this show uh, and... Like, I'd love to hear his thoughts on somebody like Peter Byrne or David George Gordon or whatever. But so we end we end this uh, this first episode with the documentarian getting a text message that basically tells him to fuck off. Well, it was this private investigator that he hired who basically said, I have a family that I have to protect. You are entering into very dangerous ground. You should stop. And then the episode ends. He's, he's warned off this investigation, and you're like, huh, 
Why would we warned off this investigation if it was actually the Bigfoot? Well, spoilers, we're getting into episode two. It probably wasn't a Bigfoot. But to be fair, they did start episode two, like almost disproving the like famous footage from okay, 1967. So this was nuts. They they got Bob Hieronymus, who is allegedly the man who wore the suit in the Bigfoot footage for Patterson and Gamlin. That is how they kick off episode two, and it blew my goddamn mind that they somehow got Gimlin, who maintains this story to his dying day. Well, he's, he's not dead, but he has maintained it until now. And then they also got the this guy who claims he was the one who wore the suit and had like all these details about and, what it was and like. And Ashton, they're apparently neighbors. Yeah, that's the, that's the crazy shit. So Gimlin and the guy who wore the suit are neighbors. Bob Aronimus, the guy who says he wore the suit, says he waves to Gimlin all the time, but he doesn't wave back. And then like his wife corrects him. She's like, no, I've seen him wave sometimes. Like, and, and Gimlin's like, oh yeah, no, we're neighbors. Like we wave, we're cordial, all that stuff. And yeah, Bob Aronimus is like, no, we hate each other. And he never acknowledges that. And I love the wife where he's like, no, he does. Yeah, he, he waves. But yeah, so that's kind of crazy. Like, I didn't actually know that we had the guy who claimed to wear the suit. And he talked about, like, the reason it's such a quick take is that he was afraid he was going to get shot by hunters. Uh, Talked about if you look at the legs on the Bigfoot, you can see his wallet in his pocket because he was just wearing uh, his jeans underneath it. He just kind of put the suit on real quick, walked through the forest, and it was all done in one take. And that was it. So yeah, I, I thought that was fascinating. So did just, I. I had no up. idea that, that, it, that he was out there. So that's really interesting. And then even with that, Gimlin retains the story. And he never like goes as far as to call Bob Aronimus a, a bullshitter. But he just says, I, he just keeps sticking to his story of I was there. I saw it. This is what it was like. So Cryptids, man. Everybody's out to make a buck. Look at like multiple towns in West Virginia that have built commercialization systems based off Mothman and Slatwoods and man crazy um and that is the last time we're gonna talk about sasquatch in this documentary we'll get to a little bit towards the end but yeah pretty much like that is so if you're here for some good good sasquatch documentary let me tell you it is it is a bait and switch uh it is a big old bait and switch but that being said this is still a fucking great documentary like it's really it's really good so this episode talks a lot about Spy Rock, which is the land of the lost area I mentioned earlier, and so it gets it gets into two things. It gets into the drug war over marijuana, which I knew that there was a drug war over marijuana. I had no idea the extent that there was people fucking dropping out of helicopters, cutting down fields like with machine guns. It's like the footage they were showing straight looked like it was out of Vietnam. Yeah, I thought Vietnam is a good apt comparison there. And like, there's people talking about it, and they're like. They called it, I think, camp. They camp, called it, yeah, CAMP. Yeah. CAMP was the organization that would, so they would look for pot farms from the air, and then they would drop in and just absolutely decimate them. And I mean, apparently, commit some atrocities along the way. Like there are people saying that these guys came in and shot their dogs, and then just stormed their house and burned their fields. Which, if you're a pot grower and you've moved up there, that's your livelihood. So you know, take it what you will. Like, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's illegal, but. It was also their entire livelihood burned up in one instant. And and again, we're talking remote areas where these people hauled all their resources on their back. They couldn't drive up all their fertilizer and all that stuff, like multiple trips up and down the mountain. And yeah, one guy was talking about how if they take your crop, 
you don't eat that year. You don't buy diapers that year. You aren't able to do anything. So they had to really separate their, their crop into multiple different areas and then hide them as best they could. And apparently they were really good at it. Yeah, they said they like planted it among like thistle and just like in line with the trees so that nobody could see it. Which is why, I mean, I learned a lot about marijuana growing, honestly, in this in this episode. Like, I learned a shit ton about marijuana growing, and I learned that Humboldt gold is apparently something I want. Uh, <laughs> it's apparently... Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right, Ashton? Because, like, that's back in the early 90s when you don't have all of these high-powered growers who can monitor it and, you know, crossbreeding and... and Weed nowadays is so different than it was back in the early 90s. It's so much more potent and just botany in that field has come so far, right? Yeah, but did you hear the... At one point they were talking about like what the legalization... Because it's legal in California now. It's legal in Washington and Oregon too. Where where, where we are, it's, it's entirely legal. But I guess not federally. It is state legal. They said in California, since it has been legalized it's actually kind of amped up the tensions and the murders in that area that it's gotten worse. I forget. I think that might've actually been in episode three when they were talking about that, but they, they said, I thought it was after camp that that started because weed was a more expensive commodity because of the, the whole camp thing and they would come in and sweep. So what you had left with your crop was so valuable just because there wasn't as much to go around. It was worth more when it came to actually selling it on the black market. My understanding was not that that was post-legalization in, you know, 2019 or 2019, 2020, 21. That was after just the feds came in and started rounding stuff up. Um, now, Razor did talk about how uh, the black market is still uh, a bigger market than the regulated market that he chooses to participate in now versus, you know, back then in the early 90s. We should note Razor is the source from Joshua Tree, who David Holdhouse went to talk to him because he thought that he might know something about the murders in 1993, which is his entire strategy, by the way, is to go around asking people like, hey, do you hear any stories about a Bigfoot murder in three dudes in 1993? Uh, that, that, is, that is his entire investigative journalist strategy, and it works out really well for him. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it, fucking keep doing it, dude. Yeah, it might have been Razor too, but they were talking about with legalization, like these people became more a little bit more desperate to sell because they had such competition and they can't compete with the factory farming, which makes sense. A lot of problems that would just be solved if we just legalized weed. Like I'll say it on this podcast, like just legalize weed, please, for the love of God, because like these these fights are so pointless. And they talk about this episode's a lot about the murders in Spy Rock area, and they talk about just like fields of bodies that are up there on the mountain that you're never going to find and how many unsolved murders there are in this area, like that you walk through Humboldt and there's nothing but missing person signs because people have just been, people just disappear. And a lot of the time it is undocumented people who disappear, which is the unfortunate part because there's no way for the police to solve those crimes because they have no DNA on file and they can't identify the bodies. They also have no help from the community, which yeah. I believe this was an episode three thing that popped up. With yeah, we're bleeding in there. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, if you legalize it, it's a lot of tax revenue that comes in. So from like a financial perspective, the government is fucking stupid, but that's nothing new. Yep. I believe it is in this episode that David Holdhouse gets in a car with some randos and goes up to a pot farm. Is that correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, he does. And I will say the the area there is really disgusting and like holy shit the living conditions these guys live in to grow is it, it's it's impressive that they do that um it, it's just it's, shacks it's just shacks it's up on a mountain with garbage strewn all around them like it's these are people who have come up from mexico and other areas in central america to make a living growing pot up here because they're out here seeking fame and fortune and these are the conditions they're putting themselves in it's just frankly it's fascinating well and we should note that a lot of them too are just like from california Right, because there's there was this whole dichotomy of there was people who went up there to form a hippie colony where they could live off the land. They wanted to just be like peace, harmony, and love. Right, it was the seventies and eighties like that. That's, that's what people did. So they they went up there to do that, and a lot of them ended up growing pot. And it was supposed to be like this utopia, but then there was this darker underbelly where people who came in and wanted to make like real money off the pot industry came in and actually were dangerous and a lot of the times they would hire undocumented people because cheap labor and like they they probably paid better than these undocumented people could get in the city there was some undocumented people who had their own farms but what became clear when holt house went to uh, this particular farm so he basically just hops in a car with somebody and goes up to a farm in the middle of nowhere and says i hope i don't get killed and it starts to become clear that there's a lot of casual racism in the area like well it's a super separated area too and these people are very threatened by well i mean you know it's, it's true of a lot of california right they are they're threatened by immigrants and they are specifically super racist towards immigrants yeah it, they, there's a couple points there too where the hell's angels apparently took this area over and have it under their like protection where you have this dichotomy of oh it's a lot safer because you know there aren't as many home invasions and this that and the other because the hell's angels are protecting it and then it's like no there's like murders every day because the hell's angels are there and it's their territory and this that and the other and then um one dude at some point talked about how like immigrants would come in and go work for older farmers and then just take their their land and just say this is ours now what are you going to do about it and i was like Oh, that steers into all of the fears that yeah. racist well, people And the question tend is, did that actually happen? Exactly. We'll get into that a little bit later, just because like the did any of this actually happen is where we're kind of getting to. Because through the course of this episode, it's really revealed that three people that were murdered on Spy Rock was probably not a Bigfoot at all. So Spy Rock is actually where he was when he saw this original murder, he thinks. Uh, I I did find it interesting that in some of the different anecdotes about Spy Rock, um, they go through what it's like to be up there in isolation. And Razor talks about uh, this feeling of being watched in the woods when you're there all on your own and how it's this feeling of I might not belong here and something is going to take me out, which steers into that paranoia. Um, and there's like, for example, there's apparently this dude who just watched his money pile grow, but never wanted to leave his shack. So he ended up just dying in there, never got to spend it because he was so paranoid that he just lived in isolation. And like, that's some of the type of people who would live up there. So yeah, of course it's dangerous, full of killers, full of, you know, murders and all that kind of stuff. It's just scary place. It's also about that time that we found out that everybody who came into the A-frame that night when he heard about, when David Holdhouse heard about the murders for the first time was on Crystal Myth. They're fucking tweakers. Yeah. Bury, the, bury the lead. He's like, oh, I just remembered this. He's like, I just remembered that almost everybody was on Crystal Meth. And the reason was 
when it's harvest season, they they go for insane hours. Like they just don't stop harvesting because they have to get the crop in. So everybody's on crystal meth to stay awake. And yeah, yeah, again, bearing the lead. It it's like, okay, so now we have the story is a couple of people on crystal meth were out in the middle of the night, saw some dismembered body parts, said it was a Bigfoot, and then came back. And it was at this point that I was like, I'm starting to think we're never gonna get back to Bigfoot. Because that's that's pretty much the end the end of episode two. So he's been I should I should backtrack a little bit. Throughout this episode, he's been trying to find this guy from the Hell's Angels who might be posing a danger to him, David Holdhouse. Like David Holdhouse got that text message from the private investigator. He's a little worried that he's gone overboard, and there's this dude from the Hell's Angels that everybody says you do not want to fuck with him. And I'd love to say his name, but we don't actually know it because they bleep it out of the entire documentary. Out they of fear for everybody's alleged killer. Yeah, yeah, the alleged the alleged killer, or like they literally just bleep his name whenever David Holdhouse says it. And at one point, he's like, "For the love of God, like please bleep this guy's name because if you don't, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me." Like, it's a very scary individual. And this episode ends with Holdhouse getting that guy on the phone. Yeah, and they they talk about how this alleged killer guy apparently murdered somebody in 2013 as well, and how pissed off the cops and how he got off scot-free because, you know, he got a lawyer and fought it. And like, that's how this guy was different from everybody else is he didn't just take things lying down. And yeah, the, the closing, I will say the ha- the cliffhangers in these episodes were actually pretty good. The first one was the private investigator saying you need to stop. And then the second is like, he's like, Oh, I hear you've been looking for me. Yeah. And it's like, a lot of the voices are like garbled and uh, like disguised because these people are still active pot growers or active criminals, so they can't like actually be on camera. Very interesting. But yeah, so that is when we get in episode three, which starts with a banger uh, because it opens with Brian Regal, who we've had on this podcast. He came here to talk about the Jersey Devil. And so I was like, oh, cool friends. And I thought it was funny that they had him on to talk about Bigfoot and mythology because he's he's primarily in folklore. But, you know, I guess uh, when you're doing when you're doing cryptozoology research, you you run into the same people. I am really surprised that we didn't see David George Gordon or Peter Byrne on this documentary. Honestly, they might have turned it down because it wasn't actually about Bigfoot and Brian Regal's a skeptic. So I could see him jumping at the chance. He also has fantastic hair. I should know. He does, man. And he's very passionate. I will give him that. That was um, really impressive. Yeah, where the fuck was Benjamin Radford, though? They should have had him on this documentary. Uh, you know what, Ashton? Let's write some strongly worded emails. Yeah, Ben, don't worry. We got your back. We love you here. Favorite guest. So, beginning of episode three, they talk about this guy, Bigfoot Gary. Bigfoot Gary lives on Spy Rock in the, in the early 90s. They think that Bigfoot Gary might have done the murder. And David Holdhouse is hired, hired alleged killer to do the murder, right? Right. Well, at that point, David Holdhouse isn't sure, though, because he's like, did I hear three guys say that Bigfoot killed these guys? Yeah, Yeah, he's like, did a did they say a Bigfoot killed these guys or was it Bigfoot killed these guys? Because two completely different connotations. If there's a guy named Bigfoot Gary up there at the time, They, they also call him Bigfoot Gary because he has big feet and he, quote, likes to run around his property without shoes on. Which is nuts. And like, this is where the documentary, like, it was already pretty dark. But episode three gets really dark. 
Like, I think, John, you, you, you even texted me about this. Like, uh, do you want to tell the story about the kid? Yeah, so he ends up finding a meth head who he gets in a car with again. And then it's, you know, the garbled voice and everything. Uh, and she's talking about how her son, when her son was five years old, witnessed this murder in person, this double homicide and this killer shotgun these two people and the kid was at such close range that um there was blood that was all over his face and he tasted it and like my son's almost three so like that just hit me in the fucking core where it was like oh god this poor kid um we're really hitting hitting on uh your fears as a parent this yeah this has been like three episodes in a row it's it's great um but the problem is like it, it gets you emotionally involved and like, holy shit, he found a lead. And then she's like, yeah, it was in like 1996. And he, he just kind of stops and he's like, wait, what? And he's like, are you, are you sure? She's like, well, he was born in 91 and this was his first day of kindergarten. Yeah. It was in 1996. And he's like, oof, that was an was, awkward show and tell. I bet <laughs> it was a few years after back in 93. So, yeah. and so he's like, great. This is another double homicide on spy rock like in the early nineties. And this is where he just starts to figure out that there's like a shit ton. And I'm just like, okay, so we never visit Mendocino County. It's now off my list of places I want to go. Cause it sounds sketch as fuck. When, when was it on your list? Uh, towards the beginning of the documentary, when they were like big ass plants, lots of marijuana. I was like, let's go baby. Like <laughs> pe- pe- they're like peace and love hippie commune. And I'm like, I am there. Bigfoot enthusiasts also there. I was like, we could take a trip. We can go interview some amazing Bigfoot enthusiasts. We could find some Humboldt gold. It sounded really good. It was a it was a utopia until it until it wasn't. And instead, it's just a murdertopia run by the Hell's Angels. Yeah, yeah. Everything about Mendocino County sounds bad, but okay. But anyway, so he's trying to find Bigfoot Gary because he really wants to talk to Bigfoot Gary because he now thinks that this is the guy. This is the guy who ordered the shotgunning of those two men. This is the guy who killed or ordered three people killed out in a patch somewhere back in 93. Greece, three Mexicans is what what they say. And and we did find out that these are three Mexicans. And like we we got more details. And in episode two, I think we skipped over how he went to this diner. And the, the dude who called him there was all quiet in this conversation with all these old pot farmers. And once the, the diner shut down and it was after hours, he, he looks at David and it's like, so I hear you're talking, you're asking about, you know, blah, 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 who greased these three Mexicans. And that's how he gets onto alleged killer in the first place. So, um, that, and, and then the documentary goes down this rabbit hole of Central American workers coming up and it's like a 10 minute explanation, similar to the 10 minute explanation on camp and the war against drugs. And we learned a lot. During yeah. this documentary around non-Bigfoot things. <laughs> it was so, fascinating. Digression digression aside, going back to episode three, please continue, Ashton. And I, I want to note, too, that anytime alleged killer, bleep name, is mentioned, everybody on the documentary looks scared shitless. And they're just like, oh, I don't I don't want to talk about him. And yeah. it's really uncomfortable. Like, this is, whoever this is, is no fucking joke. Like, you really don't want to, you really don't want to talk about them or anything. So it clearly had a lot of people spooked. He's been known to sick the Hells Angels on people, was what one person said. Yeah. And so the story that he hears about Bigfoot Gary specifically is that somebody, like, 
Specifically, they think a Mexican person raped his daughter, and then Bigfoot Gary got mad and dismembered them all, and that is how this murder happened in the first place. That the three people that were murdered in this pot patch was because his daughter was raped and he was, you know, whatever. And Holdhouse points out that this plays into every stereotype uh, and and just like racist ideology in the book. So, and we already mentioned that there's a, a shit ton of racist, racism in Mendocino County. I mean, there is everywhere, but like specifically Mendocino County against immigrants, there's a ton. So Holdhouse actually just gets pissed where he's like, you know, he has two sides about it. He says, if this guy had his, uh, his daughter was sexually assaulted and then he went and murdered the person who did it, good for him. But if he's just doing that and using this as an excuse because he knows people will buy into the stereotypes, fuck him. So that really tells you a lot about David Holthouse right there. <laughs> that he's like, okay, with vigilante justice. And I think, again, that plays into the fact that he was sexually assaulted as a child. So he clearly has some triggers around this. You know, it's it's like, it's why he has this obsession with monsters. But so he goes around looking for Bigfoot Gary because he wants to know about these murders. That's why he's here. And I absolutely adore that his method is to literally sit around i think a grocery shop that he knows bigfoot gary goes to and literally just ask everybody who comes by do you know bigfoot gary do you know how i can get into contact with bigfoot gary like yeah grocery outlet bargain market that's that's what he does he just sits out there and he's like i i think this person's a murderer i guess i'm just gonna ask everybody about him you know it works. That's the crazy shit. It works. And he gets Bigfoot Gary. Well, he gets Bigfoot Gary's wife on the phone first. And she's like screening Bigfoot Gary's calls. Eventually, he gets them both on the phone. Well, because he's like, are you an intermediary or can I talk to him? She's like, am I an intermediary? He wants to talk to you. I was like, what? Yeah, so good. And then Bigfoot Gary gets on the line. And lo and behold, he didn't even have a daughter in 1993 and didn't live in the area. So... Yep, another dead end. Another dead end. But this is the part where we get an interesting turn, and it briefly goes back to Sasquatch. Because suddenly, Holdhouse, all of his leads are gone. And he's like, okay, it wasn't Bigfoot Gary. He wasn't in the area. Maybe a Sasquatch did actually murder these guys. So decides that the only way he's going to get to the bottom of this is to go to the owner of the grow up he was working in 1993, who was in the A-frame cabin with him when he got that first call. It's kind of an insane story. So he does get a hold of him, which again, I like I he's right. He must be right that people see him as crooked and are willing to talk to him because I don't understand how he gets people to talk to him. But the guy like no names, garbled voice again, but he does get to talk to him on the phone and He's really coy about the whole thing, but then he starts to say, basically, they made the whole thing up. The reason they did it was because Bigfoot myths were a really good way to keep people, like, off their property. They wanted to talk about chupacabras, but it didn't make sense. And That's then, right. And then they were like, we have something better. We have Bigfoot. Yeah, so that he's sitting around with a bunch of other pot farm leaders and they're like, how do we scare off these immigrants that are coming to take our farms? How do we scare them away? And they'd be like, it'd be great if we had chupacabras because, you know, racist. Even though, like, chupacabra comes from fucking Puerto Rico. Not a not a Mexican myth, but either way. Actually, so the, they don't run a podcast like we do. Yeah, to be fair, I, I probably would have assumed it was, like, from Central America as well. But anyways, they're like, we've got something better. We've got Sasquatch. So what they do is they take a quote unquote loudmouth, a loudmouth tweaker. So somebody who's on crystal meth 
They make a scene that looks like Bigfoot killed three people, which by that I mean they just straight up dismembered a bunch of people. And, and they, they talked about how to do it, too. And it's oh, like, that's yeah, right. You he, know, bolt cutters and forklifts and trucks and hacksaws. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ. So they did murder. He murdered three people or at least ordered the murder of three people. And then he had somebody who was a part of his crew go out there with a meth head and basically plant the story of like, oh, look at all this. Oh, my God. It looks like a Bigfoot did it. And then, of course, the meth head comes back and spreads that story for them. So at the end of the day, the reason Holdhouse heard this story was because people wanted him to. And that's the same thing with like the rocks being thrown at people or like the things watching people from the woods. He talked about that they spread these Bigfoot myths on purpose to scare people away and make them wary of places they didn't want them to go. I actually thought that was a really interesting angle on cryptids that we've never examined because we've talked about cautionary tales for lack of a better word, like ancient sense, like, or just like much older. Like we've talked about it in Native American culture. We've talked about it in early Central American culture, South American culture, heck like Ireland with leprechauns and stuff and fairies. Like we've talked about this idea that cryptids originate in a lot of places as cautionary tales to ward people off doing things that would hurt the tribe or hurt society or whatever. And it really does look like these people use Sasquatch in that fashion. And I thought that that was wild. Yeah, it's it's a good use of the myth. Um, I don't believe. I, I don't know about good. It certainly well, is I mean, a it's, way it's to effective. use the myth. It is effective. It is an effective use of the myth for sure. I, I found that interesting. Um, I thought it was a, an interesting twist on it, and it was a functional use, um, despite having to murder three people to have that functional use. But still, yeah, I. So I, I am fascinated, and it did make me wonder how many cryptid sightings in the U.S. have been used to similar purposes or have been fed in similar ways. And you think there's massive grow operations in New Jersey? Hey, you never know. We should ask Brian Regal. So like the Jersey Devil, is it covering up a Coke op? Because it sounds like something somebody cooked up on Coke. But I will say <laughs> this whole uh, this whole kind of dressing up and making it look like Bigfoot did a murder, John. Sound familiar? It does. It's almost like I've read a book where that happened. Yeah, almost like and and weird. If I if I had to look, I would say Man of the Mountain. That right? author apparently just ripped off a real life thing. So well, un- that, that, hack. the book came out before the documentary. So well, maybe really, he maybe he did some investigative journalism. I and can found almost this guarantee out. you he didn't. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, it, it is really funny because it does actually draw some parallels to to Man of the Mountain, which is I it's it's a story I wrote because I was up one late up late one night wondering what if there was somebody out there dressing up as Bigfoot trying to keep this myth alive, like but actually murdering people to do it. Yeah, I, I, I as this ended, I was like, holy shit. I wasn't that far off. Like, this actually happens. Wild. But that's it. That's that's the whole documentary. It just sort of ends there. And, well, it kind, kind, it's kind of about Bigfoot, but not really. So, it's yeah, all the it's, people who recommended it to me. You liars. It's a giant bait and switch. Like, it's, here's 25 minutes on Bigfoot, and we're going to sprinkle some Bigfoot into episode two and three. It's really a fascinating look at the war on drugs, pot growing in Mendocino County, and the Hells Angels. And look, I I enjoyed the hell out of it. I know you enjoyed the hell out of it. We've talked about this quite a bit, texting back and forth, but man. Yeah, and it's, and you know, for some additional content, I think it's from the people who made Wild Country, which is about uh, these 
religious fanatics taking over, basically a cult, taking over and building a town in Southern Oregon. That documentary is also fantastic. So it kind of explains like, they're very good at telling the story. Even though it's not about Bigfoot, I still recommend it. I still think it's very interesting to watch. But if you are looking for a documentary about Bigfoot, this ain't it. Nope. Move on to the next one. It does make me, like, I would love a documentary with these production values, even if it's just about cryptozoology in general, because I think that that's such an interesting community I mean, hell, we made a podcast about it for a reason. But I think that with those production values, like they showed it, it can be really interesting. Like they could have probably done an entire documentary on the Patterson-Gimlin footage because in the 15 minutes they talked about it, like I learned more about that footage than I have. And we've done quite a bit of research on it, but it's crazy. You just have two people who, like who who was it? But the fact they had Bob Aronimus on to say it was bullshit is nuts. Still, great documentary. Highly recommend it. Sorry, it's not actually about Bigfoot. Bait and switch. Pa-pow. This is what happens when we get into truth. If you listen to this whole episode, thank thank you for listening to us talk about a documentary on pot farming. It was it was fun. Yeah, it was it was great for me. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. You know, next time when we come back, we'll have some real myths. I promise. All right, that is it for today's episode of Cryptids Decrypted. We tried something new today. We uh, we talked about the truth uh, and a, a documentary. So I'm curious what y'all thought of that. There are plenty of cryptid documentaries out there if you want to see us go look at more. Maybe some that aren't bait and switches that turn up to be about, uh, I don't know, uh, pot growth murders in California. But either way, I thought this was really fun. I had a great time talking with John about it. So if you enjoyed it, let us know. Uh, maybe we'll do it again. But... We will be back in January. We're going to kick off with a fantastic interview. Like I said, maybe you caught the person's name because I said I wanted to interview them and I was going to contact them. And guess what? I reached out and I did interview them. So that's, I mean, that's all I got. Have a happy holidays. Stay safe out there and we'll talk to you in about a month. Bye-bye.